I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor and founder of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. You can get us on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak, and obviously our website is TheEaglesBeak.com. I'm very proud to mention that we've been nominated as a finalist for the Football Blogging Awards this year. Very first time we've been nominated. The only Palace site to be nominated this year. So um, if you'll feel free to vote for us, then that'd be great. Head on over to Twitter. It's all over our Twitter account at the moment because we're talking about it an awful lot. So it'd be great if you could cast a vote for us. We'd be very proud. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. I have not been nominated for anything, but you can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. <laughs> yeah, congrats, Jay. Uh, we would urge everybody that listens to this uh, to go give them uh, their support. Obviously, some great content over there. Uh, and I say Thank that as somebody that worked over there for a while. It's a, it's a great spot for great people uh, for a very good club. I couldn't say great club because it's not mine, but I'm sure they <laughs> think it is. Anyway. Awesome. Um, Cheers, <laughs> So uh, I wanted to start today um, by talking about the greatest rivalry uh, that you guys think is currently active in the Premier League. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk this week about Manchester United versus Arsenal. Then we got to see Fergie with Wenger um, before the match today. Uh, do you guys think that that still kind of reigns supreme, or what rivalry do you view as the best in the Premier League at the moment? It's quite a few, isn't there, in the Premier League at the moment? You've got you know, the Manchester derby, which are, I think rates quite highly up there. You've got the uh, United-Liverpool. They hate each other as well, don't they? United-Arsenal, Arsenal-Tottenham, of course. We just uh, quickly mentioned that of off air, um, but of course the Brighton, the Brighton Palace one as well. You know, in the Premier League, three times this season, nobody knows what it's all about. So uh, obviously confuses people. But um, being being on a serious note, I think to be honest, it, it's it's a tough question. I, I think I think every every fan would say their rivalry is probably the 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 most fiercest in the Premier League at the moment. I think the Manchester one holds a fair few grudges. Um, and so does it. I think the Arsenal-Tottenham one isn't quite what it used to be. I don't know if you mm. guys would agree. You'd probably yeah. say it, talk about that in a second. I think it's it's a little bit cooled, I think, at the moment. Um, maybe that's because Arsenal are probably where they are at the moment. I don't know. Uh, you, again, you guys could probably answer that. But I think I think at the moment it's probably... I'm going to plump for... Uh, it's, it's either the Manchester derby or the Manchester United-Liverpool one. Mm. I think it's between those two. I think it's quite tight. Obviously, the rivalry between the Manchester teams this year, being you know top of the table and and, and second place as United are at the moment, has made it a little bit more intense and obviously uh, yeah a bit more needle between the two sides. So I think oh, difficult. I think this season it would probably ju- that one would just edge it for that reason alone. But normally I would say United Liverpool over the past few seasons, even even if teams haven't particularly been um, you know up there challenging, I think it's probably. Uh, 
uh, one of those rivalries which is which has always been there and uh, and always will be. But yeah, the Manchester derby, I think, this year. I'll, I'll plump for that one, I think, really. Mm. Um, interesting that you brought up uh, United-Liverpool. Four of their last five mm. matches have been draws, so uh, pretty level there. <laughs> the the, the yeah. playing style in those has been uh, <laughs> not fantastic at times. Uh, I did want to come back to you on Brighton Crystal Palace because obviously we've talked mm. about it in the past, but it does seem like there's a lot of ignorance on the importance and uh, tenacity lot, yeah. between um, Brighton and Crystal Palace. Just uh, would be interested in getting you to explain that a bit to the listeners that may not know uh, why that rivalry is so intense. Yeah, well, it, it goes back to the 70s. I mean, it's not the most traditional rivalry you would get um, because we're not, you know, we're not in the same city. Um, we're not particularly close. Uh, we're several miles. We're, we're separated by a motorway, Brighton on the south coast, as most people know, uh, whereas Palace are in South London. But it all goes back to stems uh, between a bitter rivalry between our managers in the 70s, between Alan Mullery and um, Terry Venable. So the two managers at a the time, they used to be, players at Spurs and it, it culminated from yep. the time at Spurs when I think Terry Venables was overlooked for the captain's role at Spurs and there was a bit of needle between the two players all, all the way back then um, and then when they both took over at the prospective clubs we played each other a lot because we were in the lower divisions back then uh, playing against each other and it kind of boiled over on a couple of occasions and it's kind of stemmed from that really from those two managers clashing and the two fans sets of fans Really, you know, we're not far away from each other, really, to, to be a rivalry. Probably no, not a lot different between Manchester and Liverpool, really. When we talk about United and Liverpool being a particular rivalry, it's not a huge amount of difference between that. But you, you're right. You, you said there's a lot of ignorance about um, fans not knowing about the rivalry. And it seems to be just the Palace and Brighton fans being able to explain it and knowing about it. And this season we've played each other three times. And every occasion we've had to explain it to non-Palace and Brighton fans and also to the media as well, because the media don't seem to know and, and kind of... Uh, kind of make it a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a laughable um, rivalry, which I find a bit, um, you know, a bit harsh in a way. But it's it's always been there. Um, you probably saw the game a couple of weekends ago, or last weekend even, Palace Brighton at, uh, at Sellers, where it's, it's just a crazy game. We've had several crazy games. I think my first experience of a Palace Brighton game was Palace winning 2-1 in the uh, late 80s, uh, and there was five penalties awarded in the game, and only one was scored. It's just it, things like that just happen. It, between Palace and Brighton, and uh, like I say, the rivalry has just got um, you know just got more intense. So, you know, from, since that happened in the seventies, number of games between each other, and uh, we kind of followed each other through the divisions from the lower divisions up through. So we used to play each other an awful lot, um, and this season we renewed the rivalry because we haven't really played each other for about five years since we first came up into the uh, into the Premier League, which uh, again was at Palace at the expense of Brighton in the playoffs. So again, you know, the rivalry there, but. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's just the basics of it that it's kind of stemmed from the 70s and, uh, and and two Spurs players, in fact, there, Kev. So I didn't know if you knew about that. <laughs> yeah, it all kind of ties back uh, into Tottenham, as a lot of things <laughs> on this podcast tend to, and I claim <laughs> I wonder why. innocence <laughs> on that point. So sticking with Tottenham there, um, Dan, we were kind of talking in the pre-show, um, and, and I, I do agree with Jay that Tottenham Arsenal doesn't seem to be what it was on the pitch. I think culturally it still holds a lot of relevance um, obviously, you feel that like ping in your stomach if you lose to the other one. Um, and I've always hated the St. Totteringham's Day thing. I just thought it was really dumb, so I'm not going to reverse it now. Um, but th- there's obviously a lot between the fan bases, but the on-pitch affairs seem to have not been as uh, crazy of late. Is, would you stick with that one, though, or is there somebody else that you think is a, a better rivalry at the moment? Uh, in terms of off-pitch stuff it's probably United Liverpool just because of the history but in terms of strictly on the pitch recently Chelsea and Spurs have had some games like in terms of a 
you know, United, Arsenal, the whole Battle of Old Trafford, Pizza Tunnel thing. Like, Chelsea and Spurs have had some of the closer games to that kind of stuff of that I can remember in the last couple of years. Like, the Battle of Stamford Bridge at the end of 15-16 was insane. Like, it's, honestly, I'd, I'd put that up there. Yeah, it ended up having, Probably. like, eight In terms yellow of strictly on the pitch. Mm. And I somehow no one got sent off because yeah. Andre Mer- or, um who was it, Clattenburg? Yeah, I yeah. Referee was. I, I think it was, was Clattenburg. Just kind of bottled it but yeah in terms of strictly on the on the pitch stuff i'd go with chelsea spurs yeah i actually have that written right here uh for tottenham versus chelsea on field versus arsenal culturally um yeah because i I, I very much agree especially for tottenham that match has been crazy and it's been like give and take like it seems like it's been one on one off although they seem to always win the bigger ones which is very frustrating and i think it's also reflected in the table this season that one of the reasons it's so crucial for tottenham to um, win tomorrow as we record against Watford. I mean, if you look at the fixture list at the start of the season, you probably aren't looking at this match as being very important. But if we lose this one, then that's Chelsea within two points of us. Obviously, they still have Liverpool, but that's <laughs> that's pretty nervy. And like they're the ones that knocked us out of the Champions League um, the year they won it, but we're in sixth or fifth, fifth or sixth. I don't remember. But the, there, yeah, there's Thanks. just been a lot I'm of Newcastle. Yeah, there's just been a lot of frustration between the two lately where they keep messing with our future and and honestly it's one of the reasons why everyone predicted that we'd get Chelsea in the semifinals of the FA Cup again we ended up drawing United and not winning that but we all have like PTSD surrounding us playing Chelsea in cup matches Um, but the the Premier League affairs have been fantastic and I think for some reason we're one of the few teams where they don't really set up defensively or maybe we just score early enough that it pulls them out of it. But they've been really fun to watch. Uh, a sneaky one for me that's developing, I think, is Liverpool versus City. The fact that Liverpool are the ones that ended City's uh, undefeated season. They're the ones that ended their Champions League run. Obviously, Klopp has a very, maybe the most successful run against Guardiola. I'm not sure on that, but it, I can't imagine many people have been better. Um, I think that's one that could really build and on on pitch as well. I mean, those are just open-ended affairs. The defending leaves a little bit to be desired from both of them. But at times, it's hard to tell whether that's because of uh, defensive problems or the fact that those are some of the best attacking players in the world. Um, but anyway, just 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 a future shout there uh, for Liverpool versus Arsenal. Sorry. Why do you guys think the Arsenal... Sorry, why do you think the Arsenal Spurs one is called a little bit? Because it used to be such a fierce rivalry, and I, I would have said a number of years ago that would have been the one that uh, you know mm. top of my mind as as being the, the the rivalry in in the top division. But it seems to have just you know not not necessarily between the fans, but it seems to have died a little bit on the pitch. Is that do you think that's just that you know the players that have come in and not understanding it? Or I'm not I can really put a finger on it. Then, um. Honestly, I'd say something is our fans are so preoccupied with the whole Wenger thing. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm not even kidding. Uh, off on the pitch, I don't know. We do. I I go with we had the one year we beat them three times, and then since then was we that like the two like five twos and whatever the other one was? No, that was uh, that was eleven twelve to twelve thirteen. We thirteen fourteen. We played you three times because we played you in the league twice in the FA Cup. And won three times. We've only won once since then. Since you've got Pochettino and we we struggle against his yeah. style of play. And it's, I don't know, it's, well, maybe our struggles have made it so the games are less intense. I don't really know. Yeah, we're not really reason, battling but... for the same positions. Yeah. Um, that's, which that's which I good... think is a big part of it. Yeah, that's a fair point. Because now that is yeah. Chelsea. Now that's our, Now it's yeah. Liverpool. 
weirdly like we we've been near each other now the last two years <laughs> but like obviously like i was saying i mean dan i'm saying uh, as a fan i'm sure you haven't felt any more relaxed in those matches like while you're watching but <laughs> yeah no but on but pitch, a, rival, yeah. a rival is a rivalry isn't it That's, exactly you know, the, and, the, yeah and two the, sets of fans feel the same every time you don't want to lose to a rival it doesn't matter I think a rivalry tends to be because you play each other a lot, and, mm. and that's how the, the Palace Brighton one developed in you know in the early years right. in the seventies because we were in the same division, we were chasing promotion at a similar sort of time. So it's kind of you know last few years it kind of missed the rivalry because we've not really had a rivalry in the Premier League. Yeah, you know, people say oh London derby between Palace and West Ham, that's not a rivalry for us. It's a London derby, yeah, but we don't have a rivalry with West Ham particularly. Or, right. or Chelsea or, or Tottenham or Arsenal. Whenever they say it's a London derby, it's just, yeah, it's a London derby. That's just it. It's not really anything more than that. Right. Although you can pretty easily classify which ones are uh, London derbies based on which ones Harry Kane scores in. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> nets in freaking all of them. Uh, although I'm sure as a Palace fan, I, I feel like Palace and Swansea are the two fan bases outside of Tottenham that think Ericsson is easily world class. Because it seems like he always scores against the two of you. Always um, scores against us, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, we pretty much, through our answers, nailed kind of the difference between how we view rivalries these days. Because there's like cultural and historical ones and like modern footballing ones. And it seems like every year the two get far and far apart as groups. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Historically, is 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 one that's always going to be there, isn't it? But um, there's there's nothing wrong with you know rivalries that kind of develop over a you know more more modern time. I mean, I think I think we do have a there is a bit between Palace and West Ham fans, but I think a lot of it these days is 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 to do with social media as well, which is uh, which I guess says how things have changed over the years. Because like I say, it used to be cultural and historical and and, and more on location because you. You didn't really have that interaction with the opposition fans any other way other than going to games. Uh, these days, it's so much different in that you, you know you can have such interaction with opposing fans during games, before games, after games, you know, in build-up and, and and after to you know to to have that so-called football banter. Well, I hate that word. I don't even know why I said it on on, on a podcast, but uh, but it it just seems to be quite different now, and you you, you do seem to build up a rivalry. Uh, with different sets of fans uh, through social media, which, is, again, is quite different. Yeah. Um, next up, we're going to take a look at uh, kind of the remaining storylines. I was trying to decide which one we should talk about. Then I figured I think one of the most interesting things is that there are so many things that are still happening in the league and so many storylines worth discussing. We have the relegation fight where there's basically five to six teams that all still have a chance of going down or staying up. Jay, I think fortunately you're out of that now. Um, you have the Wenger Farewell Tour, which happened at United, which we already mentioned there today. You have the top four with that gap between Chelsea and Tottenham uh, narrowing at the moment. You have Manchester City trying to chase uh, historical records and everything. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think... Did they score enough today? No, they still need uh, I think one they need more one time. more at least. Um, so anyway, which of those things do you guys uh, personally find the most interesting here during the run-in? I think interesting is an odd term from our perspective. Um, before yesterday, I wouldn't have said being involved in relegation battles interesting, but I think it's uh, the bottom half of the Premier League has been interesting all season because it's been pretty close. Uh, well, it's been very exceptionally close for for a fair, I would say, three quarters of it at least. And now we're coming into the you know the last few games. It, it's still 
it's still up for grabs. You know, you're talking six, seven teams can still have a chance of going down. I mean, West Brom aren't down um, mathematically yet, and they're still fighting. I, I find the relegation battles probably a fair bit more interesting than that. You know, it all seem to last longer than the other end of the table. And it seems to be, there's a lot more at stake, you know, especially these days in the Premier League for these clubs. And I can speak from experience before yesterday's game. A lot of Palace fans were quite nervous because a lot of us are thinking we just need a win out of these last three, one win and we should be okay. Even getting that win yesterday, the way we did yesterday, we're not actually mathematically safe, although we're, the win puts up to 11th place and, and it creates a lot more teams in between us. You tend to look at those teams below us and some have a game in hand, so it, it does depend on how those games in hand work out. But I, I think it's fascinating how the bottom of the table works out and I think the teams have a lot more to lose. You've only got to look at the plight of Sunderland after being relegated last season and again yeah. uh, this season from a championship. That's, that's consecutive relegations. That could kill a club. It really could. Uh, and add to that the mismanagement and the misownership. And there's a lot of news about them in, in the press today. Um, you know, the relegation could mean so many more things. I mean, a lot of clubs do go down. Owners are sensible, management are sensible, and they can get straight back up. Hull have done it on a couple of occasions, come up well. Burnley, as, as we've seen, have come up. And obviously, look at them this season, have, have done well and uh, done far uh, far better than anyone expected. But um, I, I just always find whether we're involved, not when we're involved in it, but more so when we're not involved in it, that it, it's far more compelling down at bottom because, you know, teams are fighting for their lives down there. And, and literally, you know, like I said, Sunderland is a, as a, as a clear example of what can happen to a club um, that is mismanaged and is, is relegated from the Premier League. It's, it's yeah, it, I think it's been building up all season at the bottom half of the table. Um, well, I'm biased. Um, <laughs> I have a pretty clear. Well, what concerns me most is clearly the finger of Fair World Torx. That's the team I support. But for all that said, Pep Guardiola is putting together the best team ever, probably in the Premier League. But the best managerial achievement could be found at the bottom of the table with a double relegation from Mark Hughes. Because that's still on the table. Yeah, that's, that's still pretty very crazy. Much on the yeah. table. That, like. Teams have been the best ever before. Has anyone ever got two teams relegated in this season? The answer is no. So. <laughs> yeah, that is, that uh, is pretty crazy. So bad. Yeah, it's I want it to happen so bad. Sorry, Southampton. I like you, but it's just too funny. <laughs> so. Although their their win at the weekend definitely uh, yeah that, that significantly that improved their chances win. of staying up. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the team that I'm. I, I've been waiting to actually do something. Um, I mean, it, it just seems to be the team that can actually string a few results together, although leaving it exceptionally late. Um, three games to go. I think they play Everton next week. And then they Everton have Everton away, then Swansea away. Swansea. Oh. Yeah, Swansea, Swansea is their game in hand. Uh, and obviously those two teams playing each other kind of cancels out a little bit from our perspective. But um, it, yeah, it sounds crazy. Swan Swansea have their weird little mini league with uh, Southampton and Stoke yet. They do. Yeah, they do. Um, and then you've got to look at Huddersfield, who have three horrific <laughs> games. Yeah. I th really, I mean, you can't... Uh, you, you just don't know, dear, because you don't Looking know bad how teams, goal difference as well. Yeah, bad goal everyone's playing. Three of the top four, is it, I think? top. Yeah, uh, three no, of the top four. We're in there, three of the top six. Oh, yeah, apologies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's compelling. I mean, I'm just glad we've done what we did yesterday and... and pulled ourselves away a fair bit um, so that we we 
hopefully, fingers crossed, won't be dragged back into it. But you've got to look at some of those fixtures that the remaining teams have got. I think, you know, for a lot of the season, there's been, you know, if a team could go on a run from towards the bottom of the table, it could be in the top half within a couple, you know, within two wins. It was that close. Um, and, and it's changed a fair bit in the last few weeks. But, you know, even West Brom could actually get out of it still, mathematically. But um, I think a uh, friend of the show, Dan, would be kicking himself a little bit, thinking they should have got rid of Pardew a couple of games earlier. They might have more of a chance. Yeah, but the um, efforts they've put in since. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, you've got to look at them. Um, we play Stoke away next Saturday. So, obviously, um, you know, it's a huge game for Stoke. Um, you know, we'll be going there off the back of a fantastic win yesterday. Um, trying to kind of spoil, spoil any kind of uh, revival they might have in the last two games. But I think it's going to be difficult for them as well, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, it's I, in answer to the question, relegation battle always seems more compelling to me than at the other end of the table because I think teams and players have that much, or managers even have that much more to lose. Yeah, it is pretty crazy down there right now. Um, I just wanted to bring up West Ham and Huddersfield. Obviously, West Ham took a, a heavy loss today. Huddersfield not exactly in a great form. These are their remaining matches. West Ham have Leicester, United, and Everton. Huddersfield have City, Chelsea, and Arsenal. I mean, these, and that Huddersfield-Arsenal match, because you could argue that Arsenal have kind of given up on the league, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later, but that's Wenger's last game ever. If you think if you think they're giving up on that one, I think you're sorely mistaken. So for me, I think that line is 36 points because they're both on 35 currently. It's hard to see either of them picking up another, but they might. But I think if because you know the average historically has been what 38, I think, um, to be safe. I think this year it's 36. And so if Stoke or Southampton can manage to get up there, West Brom if they win two and draw one, <laughs> like it's 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 possible to get up to to that mark. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's oh, going to be West fascinating. West Brom max out at 34 points. Oh, do they? Yeah, they only have two Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, max out every Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, if they, yeah. If Swansea got a point yesterday, I think they were done. Makes sense. But it is, but it proves how odd a season it's been in the bottom half because normally teams would look at the 40 point mark, 40 point barrier, then, you know, teams to generally just tail off after that if they mm-hmm. have no incentive of doing anything else in, in a division. You, well, I think we saw it at West Brom, was it last season? They got to 40 points. And then you know, literally in, stopped. In, in, yeah, in great form and just died a death, didn't they? And uh, I think Watford do it normally as well. I think Watford have done very similar last season. They just sunk after they got to 40 points and quite similar to the Michigan. Yeah. Although I don't think they're on 40 points just yet. So, they're on 38, you know, yeah. Yeah, so that, that, that marker is obviously far lower this year in terms of... Um, you know who's going to go down on you know on, on less points than a forty point barrier, or, or going to stay up with less points than forty. But mm. it just proves how how crazy it's been in that bottom half of the table. Yeah, and I don't want to take anything away from uh, your win yesterday, but Leicester seemed to be the the bannerman for that this season. They mm. they just don't seem to have it anymore this year. Um, yeah, although, that's, that, yeah, that's peculiar. I mean, they went to Brighton a few weeks ago and, and, and won at Brighton two 0 um, and then yesterday they just absolutely sucked. They really did. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, conceding five isn't great. <laughs> it really isn't. I, I take nothing not, away not from ideal. us because uh, that's the best I've seen us play in an awful long time. And to be honest, that kind of result was coming. I, I hate to say. Oh, you I'm were creating loads of chances heading into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we've been playing. Yeah. We've been playing well, just not really getting the performance, uh, the the results that the performances deserve. But you, you know, you kind of you don't always get what you deserve sometimes, do you? So you kind of thought uh, maybe it's not. You know, it's not going to happen. But um, but yeah, that that was coming, and yeah, thankfully. Yeah, no, you guys set. are like one of the biggest underperformance uh, in terms mm. of like chances and goals this season. So you guys Definitely. were due. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will just say that uh, I, I agree with you. I think the relegation fight is fascinating, but kind of like uh, Dan was saying, he's a little biased. And Jay, you, you were a little biased because you had to be worried about the relegation <laughs> fight for the most exactly. of the year. I'm a little biased as well with this top four fight because it's very concerning because <laughs> this Liverpool play Chelsea at the weekend. And as I said, if we don't beat Watford tomorrow as we record, um, then they're within two points of us. And then that makes that Chelsea-Liverpool match a crazy one that could mess with everything and anything. Because if Chelsea win, now we're fighting for our top four hopes. Mm. But if Liverpool win, then fourth is the highest we can go. But it also pretty much locks us into the top four. So it's like, do you want to gamble and try to move up to third? Try to get all of that extra money? Um, second looks out of hand because I thought Manchester United had given up after that West Brom match and now they just keep winning. So I, 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 I struggle to get a good read on them here towards the end of the season. Um, but yeah, that, that Liverpool-Chelsea match, <laughs> outside of this Tottenham-Watford one, <laughs> Liverpool-Chelsea is going to be the biggest match mm. of our yeah. season uh, through the end because it's it's just going to jumble things up. Um, and, and I'm one of those people that never likes it when in a match like that both teams draw. I, I never like I want one of them to clearly win and then I know what the situation is going forward if both of them get a point eh, I don't know that's just personally how I view those because I've seen people like oh mm. a draw suits us like I'd much rather one of them not matter anymore mm. than both of them still have a chance um because we're yeah, talking no, normally I'd agree with the other person but in this case yeah I agree with you yeah there's just a few games left yeah it, it's just normally normally I want as few points picked up as possible between the two of them but yeah. when it's like Two and three games left. You just want one to get rid. Yeah, because if, if either of them get two wins, then we're in trouble. So, um, all right, uh, that'll do it for our uh, opening show topics. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to ask uh, club-specific questions for each of our guests. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Uh, Jay, of course, we're going to lead in with you as the running order dictates. Um, we kind of alluded to it earlier. That was a massive win for you. Uh, for me, makes you safe, although you mentioned mathematically it does not. Um, what were your thoughts on that match and the result that very few would have predicted going into it? Incredible. Um, we just talked about it briefly, and it, it's a performance or a result that our recent performances have, have kind of alluded to. Kind of, we were, we were expecting something like this to happen at some point. Obviously, the season's ran out of games, and we're getting to a point where we're, um, you know, we're, we're on the fringes of the relegation zone. And we kind of thought, you know, before this game, one more win out of the last three would probably see us okay with the way that the other fixtures are panning out and the other other results coming in. There's only a little bit of doubt in your minds when you look at some of the teams still have a game in hand over us. But I think, you know, getting us to 11th place yesterday um, has probably 
sealed any 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 fears that we have but being palace fans are always pessimistic so um you know i think we're still the the club that's been relegated on the highest points total in the premier league and uh, i still remember that season quite vividly where uh, we're expecting a team i think it was oldham uh, weren't supposed to win their last three games bottom of the table um playing catch-up games in hand won all three games which included a game at arsenal i think i remember rightly um and uh, they yeah yeah um <laughs> And they, I think they went. They had better goal difference level on points of us, and we ended up going down, which uh, still sticks in the back of the mind when we talk about relegation from the top division. So um, you can forgive us for still having that little bit of concern in the back of our minds. But performance yesterday was absolutely brilliant. The, 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 the atmosphere was incredible. The fans played their part as usual. Um, a Leicester team, I think we were a little bit concerned about playing Leicester yesterday before the game in build-up because, you know, good side, Mahrez, Vardy, you know, they've torn apart teams... Uh, better than us before, um, but again, you know, we've 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 got a good side. We've the morale in the team is really good, uh, exceptional as as the game showed yesterday, and uh, we really had a go at them. But I have to say, there were two um, chances that Leicester had very early on. One with Joel Wall clearing off the line. If that had gone in from Vardy, it could have been a very different matter yeah. in, uh, entirely. Um, and also a, a last ditch challenge by Hennessy, uh, which was again on Vardy um, after a mistake in in the back line. And and, and those two, I mean, if if either of those had gone in or both, then it could have been a completely different story. But our first goal was absolutely fantastic. It's got to be a contender for one of our Palace's goals of the season. The movement was brilliant. Ruben Loftus-Cheek was uh, was in excellent form, hopefully showing the form that he had that got him into the England squad before he had the injury. Um, really played well, as did everybody yesterday. There's not one player that had a poor game. I think everyone played their part. Loftus-Cheek, MacArthur, Wilf, obviously, as well, scoring that first goal. Um, and Andros. Andros works so hard for this team. He, he He's kind of one of those players that he doesn't always get the goals, but he just works so hard and kind of goes under the radar a little bit. But he just works his socks off from from front to back, you know, up and down the touchline. Um, really good yesterday. And uh, yeah, I mean, the sending off kind of helped us a little bit because we had a bit of a sticky patch after the after the half-time break. Obviously, Leicester would have to come at us to try and get some out of the game, but it was a right, it was a clear sending off uh, for all Brighton. And we just went on from there. And I think the the icing on the cake really was uh, the emotion around Benteke coming on sub very late on, him winning a penalty, and obviously all the furore in the media about him taking a penalty off Luca. And, and and yesterday, um, Christian had no, he, he didn't even look interested in wanting to take the penalty, obviously, from what happened earlier in the season. Uh, a signal from the bench, which is great management, falling it up, give it to Benteke, and the crowd were cheering his name after a lot of um, negativity around the player for only scoring two goals this season in the Premier League. Uh, and obviously, you know, he put it away and um, it just showed the sort of morale that uh, we have at the club at the moment. And, uh, you know, just to help the guy along, takes a penalty, scores it. It would have been a little bit awkward if he had missed it, to be fair. Um, but uh, the scene was set, 5-0, fantastic. I think that's our uh, first 5-0 win since we beat United in 72 in the top division. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's uh, quite an historical moment. Massive win, just when we needed it to go to what looks like securing our... Uh, survive in the Premier League this season and uh, a fair play to the players they've dug in week in week out just remember we started the season seven games in no wins no goals it looked ominous from that point a lot of the media had us down even at that point uh, and I think probably a lot of Palace fans were thinking the worst as well um, but Roy Hodgson his management team uh, Ray Livingston uh, Stephen Reader is brought in as well Dean Carley they've done a tremendous job they really have you know it's been backs against the wall sometimes but he's organised the side 
um, very professional, get on with the game. Um, and they've just done what they've needed to do to get, you know, just dragged ourselves back from that abyss that we we're in. Um, and uh, and thankfully, we're looking at, well, I, I could never have said we'd have reached 11th place. Uh, we're there at the moment. We we probably won't finish there. We've got Stoke away next week and we end with West Brom at home. So he likes to think that we can get some points out of those last two to finish the season strongly and, uh, and put us one in the history books. Yeah, obviously those teams fighting for their lives there, but uh, mm. you, you definitely should be the better team in those. I'm really uh, glad you brought up Andros Townsend. We talked about loyalty um, oh, a couple seasons back, and we were basically saying that uh, loyalty doesn't really exist in the game because if a player doesn't live up to a club's standards, they're going to bring in somebody else that's better. And mm. if a club isn't living up to a player's standards, they're going to try to go to a different club. But loyalty really is when a player's level is similar to the club's level. And I kind of feel like that's where Andros is for Crystal Palace. Like, I feel like he's at your level. Would you agree with that? I think so, yeah. I think he works He works for us um, and vice versa. I think he's one of those players who... He can be a standout player, but not often enough for a higher level, I think. I think that's where he struggled. Um, he did well at Newcastle, which is a very similar situation, and he's doing well for us in that he's found his place. He works hard. Um, doesn't always come off for him, you know, but he, it doesn't stop him from working hard. He's, he's certainly not a player that stops uh, you know, stop, stops doing what he should be doing in a game. He knows his job. He knows his role in the team. Um, and and I think that he, he does that to the best of his ability. And, and and for as long as he keeps doing that, he kind of takes the pressure off Wilf a little bit and, and frees up Wilf, uh, gives him a bit more space because obviously Wilf is, is a marked man in the Premier League, often has two or three players on him. But, you know, we're not a one-man team, as people suggest. You know, some of the stats say that we are. But with Andros working hard up the other on the other touchline, it kind of, you know, if Wilf isn't having such a great day, then Andros can kind of step up and uh, and, and do a bit more uh, to what, you know, we would expect from him. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of time for Andros. He's worked, he's worked really hard this season for us. Um, and uh, it's reaping its rewards because he's got a couple of goals. And he he's, he's just involved a lot of the time, as is, as is Wilf. Wilf gets all the... The publicity um, and uh, the media attention, while, uh, whereas Andros just does does his job and uh, uh, to, yeah, and, and I think you're right, Kev. He, he's at a level, you know, not being um, you kind of rooted a guy at all, but you know, he has played for Spurs. He, he has played at a higher level, but it, it wasn't consistent, was it? You could probably vouch for that a little bit in, in terms of when he's played for Spurs a fair bit, um, but now he's got to a place where he seems comfortable, he seems happy. Um, he seems to be in a place where he knows his role, knows what he needs to do, and that's where we're seeing the consistent performances from him. Um, but he, he does work hard every game. He's probably one of the hardest workers we see. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't mean any uh, disrespect by it. I, I think it's actually no, a good thing not when a player finds their level because it kind of removes that turmoil of always being linked elsewhere, which I haven't seen anyone doing. Um, and the player pretty much can just fully commit to the project without having to worry about anything uh, off of it being a distraction. Um, coming to you now, Dan, um, the, the big question today when lineups were announced was Arsenal's. Um, obviously, a lot of youth given a chance here, obviously prioritizing the Europa League. What did you make of that team selection? And are you OK with kind of pitching in the towel for the Premier League campaign and fully focusing on Europa League, which, of course, uh, can get you Champions League football if you did win it? Yeah, no, it's 500 percent the right decision. There's, we gained nothing from winning that game. We were never going to get top four anyway. Um, and we gain when we have everything to lose against LA. There's it really wasn't a decision. If anything else had happened, I'd have been furious. 
Yeah, and it kind of was, to an extent, a moral victory. I mean, the fact that you only lost 2-1 with that kind yeah. of lineup, getting those players the kind of experience. Youngest, I, yeah, I, I saw a lot of people kind of... Sorry, the Arsenal lineup since the youngest average age of an Arsenal team since August 2011. And if anyone is good with dates, you'll know what that was. The 8-2. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Um, but I, I, I really didn't mind it uh, from an external perspective. I totally see what they're playing at. And now you've gotten some players, big minutes there. Uh, which of these Arsenal youngsters do you have the most hope for that we saw today? Uh, Maitland Niles. Reese Nelson's um, well talked about, but I haven't seen. He most, in, in fairness to him, he's most of the time he's played has been out of position. But I haven't seen anything that's been like really impressive with him. Maitland Niles, I think, is very good. Um, we'll see if he makes it because you know younger young players can look very good and then just not progress. Mm-hmm. But he looks very good so far. Um, I was kind of impressed with the uh, center back as well. Yep, the center back who I'm trying to remember. Mavropanos. Uh, Mavropanos. Yep. Yeah. Yep dinos somehow that's his nickname um don't know how but yeah he looked very good i he hasn't played for us yet he'd only ever been a bunch once i think so and didn't play so that was his debut and he looked really good so that'd be nice <laughs> him being good would be cool yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see how they all develop um do you think this is kind of going to be something that you aim to do with whoever you bring in maybe give the youth more of a chance or do you think you're going to try to re- reload again and then try to launch back to top four or higher I think this was essentially a one-off just because of the games yeah. next. I mean, if we have good players, we'll play them. doesn't matter how old or young they are. But realistically, we're not going to just stop buying good players just to give younger players a chance. Yeah. Uh, a player that did not play today but um, had been rumored to potentially already be uh, facing the exit after just a season at the club was Alexander Lacazette. But his performances have been a lot better recently, and they've been capped off with goals. Um, do you think that he's kind of saved his Arsenal reputation at least and career at most? At least his reputation. Realistically, I think the only reason to sell Lacazette is because we have a bombing. Um, I I have always been of an opinion he's been a fine striker. Um, he's not quite as good or that quite as good in the middle of the season as I would have liked, but still like fine. And as we discovered, he was dealing with a knee injury, which is a deal. Um, but yeah, I, if we sell him, I think it's only because we have a bombing and we don't have the resources to be able to have like two fifty million pound strikers. More so, even more than that. Yeah, it, it is a little bit of a overload in one position. But the reason why I think so many people thought he might leave is that he wasn't living up to that uh, yeah. price tag, and you brought in Aubameyang. But now he seems to at least be getting better, and he hasn't had a dreadful debut season. I just think the expectations may have been a little high. Yeah, um, yeah, probably. I mean, everyone saw like twenty plus goals every season in France. Um, and he, he's missed a good chunk of time with the knee injury. And Wenger took him off after 70 minutes for like pretty much the entire first half of the season, even doing it now, which has kind of hurt his minutes. Um, I'll check uh, his goals per minute or his goals per minute later and say it later. But um, it's mm. not been bad. He's been fine. I don't know. I never thought he was that bad. And he's been looking great. He was incredible against Atleti. Yeah. He was so good. I think it was eight, eight shots, five key passes. And a yeah. goal, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, although uh, not to get too into that, but uh, conceding that Griezmann goal was... Yeah, not, well, that was the team. That wasn't his fault. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I know. Just yeah, uh, on the whole. Um, yeah, no, that, the game was a massive letdown. We completely just blew a great position because we're Arsenal. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, never mind. I was about to ask about those referee decisions, but we don't do that on this show. Don't put a referee in a chance to make a decision. 
We've said that pretty much since day one on this show, and we'll not stop saying it now. Um, all right, now let's head into Player Watch. Last week, we meant to have a whole uh, Player of the Year theme, uh, obviously because it was awarded right before we recorded that show, uh, but we didn't have time to finish it this week, so we're, we're going to kind of hold it over to this group of people. Uh, who has been your team's player of the season thus far? Oh, it's, I think it's too obvious for us, but I, I have to say James Tompkins has been fantastic for us this year, proving while we shelled out the money for him from West Ham and him proving to West Ham that selling him because of his injuries uh, probably wasn't the best choice they ever made. Um, obviously, after the move to the uh, London Stadium, of course. Um, Luka Milivojevic has been just as impressive this year. Um, captain, penalty taker. Goal scorer extraordinaire from uh, midfield, going to the World Cup of Serbia. That's going to be uh, great to, to watch him playing against some of the best players in the world. Um, but I think uh, player of the year for us is it going to end up being Wolf Rizar. Um We see him week in, week out. Um, fed up with the criticism of him diving and being called a cheat. But um, we see him get kicked from pillar to post, game in, game out, and he still carries on playing with a smile on his face, scoring goals, doing what he needs to do. Um, he wasn't quite as influential in the game yesterday, but he still did what he needed to do, uh, you know, to, to encourage the rest of the players to um, to do what they needed to do. And obviously scoring five goals uh, with five different goal scorers is always good Wilf on a score sheet. I think the, uh, the only criticism we had of Wilf was uh, not scoring enough goals, but uh, he, he's he's pulled, put a fair share of his in the back of the net this year, which is great. Um, would he be my player of the season? <laughs> It's so difficult because I think those three that I just mentioned have been just as influential across the team as Wolf has Luca and uh, Tompkins at the back. Um, but I think you can't deny Wolf player of the season because of what he's done for us this year. And uh, we're just praying, fingers crossed, toes crossed, that he decides to stay in the summer. We are hearing good things um, that he's trying to encourage uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek to sign for us in the summer from Chelsea. Uh, how true that is, I don't know, but it's just a little murmur that we're getting from the club at the moment. Um, so that sounds good from our perspective. That uh, you know, The only thing that I think might attract him away is potentially uh, European football, which uh, we obviously can't give him um, at the moment, maybe in the future. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Um, but yeah, um, Wilf will be our player of the year. Um, but again... Um, Good shouts to both Luca and Tompkins, who have been fantastic as well. You say you're kidding, but it looks like Burnley's going to be there next season, so no reason uh, you can't Fair promise point. him. Yeah, I'll just read. I'll just I'm just reading a stat about Roy Hodgson, who um, he saved Fulham on the final day uh, one season, and then took them to the uh, Europa League final. Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting stat. Maybe if he fancies doing that for us, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind. Uh, just get yeah. us into Europe. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no cash. Uh, exactly. Uh, Dan, obviously not the, the season that Arsenal fans will have dreamed of uh, heading into match week one, but surely somebody has been the cream of the crop. Who has it been? Uh, so our player of the season has been Aaron Ramsey. He's been so good. So, so good. Um, goals, assists. Overall play hasn't been ideal, but, you know, for a team of our level, the season to have a player who's been scoring goals assists and overall play that's just a bit too much to ask um but yeah aaron ramsey when we were when he was playing before he got hurt earlier that was when we were actually good and since he's come back we've been better he's just extremely important and it sucks that he gets injured all the time and if the club lets him leave because they don't want to pay him 200k a week i understand because he can't play every game but when he is on the pitch he is 
sensational and has been. It's been great. Yeah, he certainly had a very good season for you there. Um, for Tottenham, uh, I'd say it's been Jan Vertonghen, who has been without his uh, uh, man crush and or center back partner, Toby Alderweireld, for the majority of the year. And it's it's been a crucial season to see what he can do without Toby because now it's starting to look more and more like that'll be the case uh, come next season. Um, but Jan, his first season made... Uh, the PFA Team of the Year, um, back when they were a little uh, less <laughs> agreed upon as this year's. Um, but he, he had a fantastic first season um, where he was scoring goals and all that kind of stuff. That part of his game kind of faded away. But as soon as Toby came in, it was pretty clear that he was the second best of the two. Um, but certainly not the case this season, not just because of the injuries. But it feels like Jan has stepped up to another level. My, my only slight um, problem with Jan is that when Jan is having a good match, he's having a good match. When Toby's having a good match, it feels like the team has a good match. Um, but it hardly feels like a thing that you can blame him for. I think it might just be personality type. But uh, he's he's just had a phenomenal season. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people saying that it should be Ericsson. I think that's fair to an extent. But I think people, myself included at times, fail to recognize how frequently Christian Ericsson changes his game to suit the team. Um, where... It, in like last season when Del Ali was always getting forward, Erickson started playing a lot further deeper and, and playing sometimes as a as a deep based playmaker, um, as opposed to this year where he's getting forward a lot because the goals aren't coming from Delhi. So now we need the goals from somewhere. So that's why Erickson is taking more shots now. Um and so a, a lot of people are viewing that as as development, like, oh, he scores goals now. But he's always been capable of doing that. I just think that's what the team needs right now. So that's what he's providing. Um obviously had a very good season, but a, a lot of people are seeing those goals and thinking that equals development. And for me, I just think uh, if anybody's ever had to create a character in a video game, you have like a, a certain amount of ability points. I don't think his amount of ability points has changed. I just think he kind of reallocates them based on team need. Um, but yeah, so for me, it's got to be uh, Jan Vertonghen, who's had a fantastic season. All right, now we will head into match previews, which is the first time I think we've gotten to that in weeks. Um, so we'll start off. Uh, with you, Jay, as you mentioned, you have Stoke. You're going to be traveling to play them. Uh, they'd look hapless for months, uh, but uh, the last couple of weeks putting forward a, a little bit more effort as you'd expect as they're trying to save their Premier League status. What are you expecting in this one? A tough game, I think. Um, obviously, we got a great result yesterday. Hopefully, we can go into this game with the same levels because while we're not mathematically safe, it's still a feeling that... Uh, um, we, we've probably done uh, as uh, enough at this stage. I mean, we're on 38 points. We're six points ahead of Southampton, a third from bottom. But obviously, it's those god-awful games in hand that uh, tend to worry teams at the moment. But yeah, Stoke is sitting on 32 games to go, including us. I mean, we could. I mean, if we beat them, we could effectively send them down, depending on how the other results go uh, on Saturday. And we are the early kickoff. So if we do win, then their fans will be sitting there um, chewing their fingernails for the rest of the day. Uh, we're, we're good enough to get to come back from Stoke with something. It just depends on the mindset of the players after Saturday, uh, put in a huge amount of effort to get that win, uh, the big win yesterday. I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll go Stoke and just, put, you know, knock it on the head and just make sure that uh, there is no fear of us uh, going down. I think there's only one team that could potentially catch us. I think uh, I read yesterday uh, from the way the, the, the fixtures uh, games against each other in that bottom half of the table kind of work out. So, um, yeah, I mean, Stoke are fighting for their lives. You just, you know, we saw that they put up a good uh, a good effort against Liverpool. Didn't come away with, uh, with the win, of course, but they had chances. 
against the Liverpool side, which um, probably a strong Liverpool side than a lot of people are expecting them to put out, bearing in mind the, the, the big game they've got in a week. So um, obviously tested them a little bit. So I'm expecting them to test us a fair bit because last chance last chance saloon for them because if I don't beat us then the possibility is that they could end uh, end Saturday uh, you know being being relegated so um, I think we put out a, a, a strong enough team again um, we're we're coming out of the back of a horrific injury list where getting to the end of the season we'll have all our players back which is a little bit late um, I wouldn't surprise me if we start a Benteke against Stoke because they're kind of a big bruising uh, back line although we have seen the way we've played with Townsend MacArthur and uh, Zaha heading the front three. It's really confusing centre-backs because they've got no idea who they're picking up. Um, it didn't particularly work so well against Brighton because they kind of figured us out a little bit as the game went on, but obviously still got the win in that one. However, against Leicester yesterday, Maguire and Morgan would, just didn't know what, what they were doing. They just didn't know who was coming through the middle and it really worked for us yesterday, as the scoreline suggests. So be interested to see if we try that uh, tactic against Stoke uh, next Saturday. But fingers crossed we can come away with something. Um, but obviously it's going to be difficult with uh, you know Stoke. Need, they have to get a win. They, there's no doubt about it. They have to get a win out of that one. Uh, teams that uh, are that desperate are often more difficult to play against. But um, yeah, fingers crossed the way we're playing, we should have enough about us to get something out of that game. Yeah, uh, for the fantasy guys, you think Zaha keeps uh, starting up front? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, whether Benteke starts instead of, uh, uh, you know, to, to kind of have a target man up front, he will still play quite high up uh, with him and, and, and he's the man at the moment. He's the, he's the creator. Uh, he's going to get the fantasy points, I think, um, as will uh, Luca. Uh, he'll be back on penalty duty if we get any more. Uh, obviously, <laughs> oh I, know there's, as I know there's a bit of consternation from him handing Benteke the ball yes, in yesterday's game. I can imagine all fantasy managers with Luca and their team going, no. Nicest jerk um, ever. <laughs> yeah. But, um, hey, team orders. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Luca's, uh, Luca and Will, for the, I think, are the top point scorers for us this season. And they will continue to be so between now and the season. Cool. Then, uh, Dan, coming to Arsenal now, a bit of double duty for you here as you and uh, we both have double match weeks. Uh, we'll start off with your match against Burnley. They're visiting to you where Burnley tend to not be as good away from home. Arsenal clearly much better at home this season, having not picked up an away point. Uh, are you feeling pretty confident heading into this one or are you a little worried about the team selection again coming out of the Europa League uh, match? Um, yeah, I'm pretty confident. Uh, I think we'll be fine. And I don't really... I don't know. It really doesn't matter that much, even if we're not. Um, I guess it does for if we finish seventh, but uh, we still have a game in hand on Burnley, even if we lose, and then we'd have a better goal difference unless we really die. Um, so we'll probably finish ahead of them regardless. Yeah, so, I don't see you getting really rid of a 17-point goal yeah. difference. Do not test us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we really shouldn't. I think we'll be fine. Like you said, Burnley are bad away from home and we're extremely good at home. Um, so yeah, we should win and it should be pretty simple. Yeah, then the following match, are you going to be traveling to face Leicester? Obviously, they're a very hard uh, club to, to foresee. As Jay mentioned earlier, they get their couple chances of match and if they score them, they score two. And if they don't, then they end up losing. Uh, you mentioned that Vardy had a couple chances there. Uh, how do you think your, your defense will fare against him and them? Uh, and are you confident in that one as well? Well, hilarity will likely ensue, but um, away, we'll probably lose. <laughs> it's really not simple nowadays, <laughs> which is depressing, but yeah, I can't really 
I went, I was confident early in like this run where I was like, it will break out eventually. And we kept not doing it. So at this point, I just have to assume a loss and hope for the best and probably not get it. <laughs> uh, maybe preload <laughs> some of those dog pictures. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for Tottenham, uh, we're going to be traveling to West Brom, which is something that looked a very easy task weeks ago. And uh, this is the second consecutive, not consecutive, that's just untrue. Uh, but this is the second time in recent weeks where we thought a match wouldn't matter by the time we got to it. And then it still does. Um, with West Brom not being mathematically eliminated. And then when we played City, if they had beaten United, they would have already won the title. Although having seen their form since then, um, maybe <laughs> didn't matter there. Um, considering they've been basically taking out their frustrations on everyone since. Um, but this West Brom match away, they kind of give us trouble sometimes. Uh, I'm a little concerned um, heading into it just because uh, the fact that Chelsea closed their 10-point gap to two with us uh, is concerning. And so I kind of feel like we need to win out. Um, in theory, we should be fine. But they've they've been putting in much better efforts lately. They beat Newcastle at the weekend. And Newcastle had been on a pretty good run there themselves. Uh, I'll, I'll say we win. Obviously, first team throughout since we have we have no other competitions uh, to worry about through the end of the year. But uh, I think this will be a nervy one for sure. Tottenham hosting Newcastle, I'm a little bit more confident in. Uh, they're much better at St. James uh, than they are away, uh, which is kind of a narrative we're kind of sticking with at the moment here. It'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out 11-wise because about when Tottenham were in that great run where we hadn't lost in the Premier League in 2018... It very much seemed like Poch knew what his best 11 was. And while by no means is it a bad thing that Toby Alderweireld and Victor Wanyama are both fit, that we're trying to get Lucas more involved in the side, it feels like we've lost that identity a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've struggled the last few weeks is, is we've tried to start changing things. Um, and, and not that change is inherently a bad thing. I just think we were in such a good place that when we started messing with things, it started messing with things. Um, but I think the Tottenham-Newcastle one, I'm think is more likely that we win than against West Brom. I wouldn't be surprised if we drew West Brom, which would uh, obviously give even further hope to Chelsea. But hopefully uh, Liverpool can take care of them, and then we can take care of West Brom, and then hopefully that should uh, just about set the table there uh, at the top through the end of the season. All right, that'll do it for us. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or any projects you're working on, now be a good time. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thanks for having me on the pod again, guys. Um, yeah, I'm Jay. I'm editor and founder of TheEaglesBeat.com. You can check out all our content on TheEaglesBeat.com. Uh, you can get us on Facebook, Instagram, but mostly we're all over Twitter at TheEaglesBeak. And please, just a quick plug, um, if you fancy voting for us in our very first nomination to be a finalist at the Football Blogging Awards next month, then head on over to our, fa- uh, our Twitter profile and uh, it's all pinned there. You can give us your vote. It would be great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm Dan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits, and you can see my very cheery attitude after we lose to Atletico on Thursday. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter over at Kevroff. You can find my writings, both fantasy and betting, over at Goal and Goal Betting, uh, respectively. Uh, also, be sure to check out the fantasy and championship shows on this very channel. Uh, to my knowledge, they recorded a championship show today. I'm sure they talked about uh, Sunderland second Chris Coleman. That seems to have not gone well. Uh, for him career-wise. Uh, but anyway, be sure to check those out. Check my writing out if you want. As Jay said, check out his uh, uh, post there about the uh, FBA, so hopefully they can win that. And check out Dan's uh, Twitter to see all of the great doggos uh, weekly, <laughs> especially when they're playing away from home. Uh, all right, thanks so much, guys, for joining me. It was a pleasure as always, 
and we hope you keep listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.